good morning, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I loved it this morning. I walked outside cold enough for a bonfire, warm enough to go out to the lake today. That's a good day. Turn to a neighbor and say, it doesn't get any better than this. Do that, would you? Oh, man, those people down in Indiana are getting 90 degrees, man. We got this beautiful stuff now. So glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In some ways, it's a continuation, really, of a message we started last week. We, last week, we messy but beautiful. We, we talked about how relationships can, can be a little messy, but they also become the foundation of some of the most beautiful things in our lives are worth putting effort into. And this week, uh, as we continue that, last week we talked a little bit about conflict, how conflict is one of those little messy things you've got to work through. And we actually worked through the book of 1 Corinthians using what I would say are, are negative examples to learn a positive truth. You can do that. And what we learned is that whether you're a person who tends to acquiesce, who kind of give in and just kind of avoid conflict, or if you're a person who tends to be adversarial, you want to prevail in conflict, that we got to learn how to do some things. And we talked about learning what it is to find the common ground. Look for the common ground. We want to learn how to give up our rights. Sir, I'm going, to, I'm going to surrender my right to have to win. If I've got to win, that's going to make it hard to do uh, a spirit-filled conflict. And then we talked about learning what it is to be generous. Generous, generously looking out for the other person. How many people did you all, you did it all this week perfectly? Do that, Ruth, raise your hand. Yeah, not too many, not too many of you. And those are people who live alone. <laughs> Nobody else is in the house. Today, we want to dig into Ephesians 4, and I couldn't escape this passage this week. I, I really tried to go elsewhere. I wanted to go on a whole different journey, and yet I kept getting drawn back to this passage because Paul as he lays the foundation for the, the unity that we have in Christ, the doctrine of the first three chapters of Ephesians, he starts telling us and, and instructing us how to put it into practice in Ephesians chapter 4. And here's, here's what it, or how it begins, if you have your Bibles with you. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You could stop right there and just marinate on that, that truth. That God is calling me to live a life worthy of the calling. Not as a pastor, as a believer. He's called me to Him. I want to live a life worthy of that. What a profound passage. To live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm going to invite you to pop down to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands 
that he may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now it's interesting, when I was looking at this passage, um, I, I began to, I just kept getting drawn back to it, and Wednesday I started to process it a little bit. And it's interesting when I read this, there were some things that just jumped out at me as observations. The first one, if you look at the verses we looked at, is that relationships can take a lot of effort. He says, make every effort to live at peace to, in the unity of the Spirit. Relationships can take a lot of effort. How many of you recognize relationships, whether they're marriage or sibling or family or workplace? How many recognize that relationships can take a lot of effort? Just raise your hand. Yeah, some of you didn't raise your hand. It's because you're the one everybody's expending all their effort on. Or better yet, ah, oh, Pastor, I'm so tired. I don't have. I, I don't want to expend my effort raising my hand. It takes so much effort. <laughs> it does. It takes a lot of effort. The second thing that jumped out at me is that all throughout that passage, lots of grace words, forgiveness. That's an act of grace. Compassion, act of grace. Uh, kindness, act of grace. He says. Uh, he says, be completely humble, bearing with one. That's an act of grace. It takes a lot of grace for relationships to be healthy. Lots of grace. It takes God's grace in my life. It takes my grace into other people's lives. It just takes lots of grace. And then the, it all came together on this last one. Relational effort and grace can get pretty messy. And what I mean by that, if you read down through this passage, when I began to give you the illustrations, when I began to read down through it, Paul is addressing these things because these things aren't always easy to do. He says, I want you to speak honestly with one another. I don't want the sun to go down in your anger. Uh, you got to deal with anger. In fact, he's got like seven types of anger that he talks about. He says, you got to deal with bitterness and malice. you, you got to learn what it is to forgive. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. All of those words are very beautiful words, except on the backside of it, it's a mess. He, he says, these things may or may not be happening, and if they're not happening, this can get really messy. And so as I looked down through this passage for years, I was actually mentored by a guy, or I, I considered him a mentor. He was just somebody I looked to a lot and, and looked for uh, advice. Years and years ago, when he was speaking one time at a retreat at our church, um, he talked about this passage as creating a framework for having a good fight, for, for doing conflict in a very good way, and he used it as that guideline. The problem is, is that you need boundaries when you're doing conflict. Um, you probably have heard of the, of the war in Ukraine, 
it's been hard not to know about it. You may not have been following it very closely. It had lots of coverage early on, and everybody was very much paying attention, but then it's kind of faded a little bit, just as real, just as impactful, just as many people are dying. And it's been interesting because while it's between Ukraine and Russia, and Russia's advancing, trying to gain some territory, and you know, there's all kinds of stories as to why that's happening. What's interesting is that it's impacting NATO and then there are some countries that aren't part of any alliance that are also around it. And so all of them are kind of nervous. And so you, you've, got, you've got all these folks. And what's interesting is they're trying to figure out how much they're going to engage with Ukraine in this whole conflict. The United States is doing that. We're, we're involved, except we're not. But, but we are because we're, we're providing and we're trying to give support and we're sending uh, weaponry and we're trying to do that. But we're, we're trying not to do it too much and we can send planes in if we go through a surrogate country. And By the way, I'm not making fun of anybody or the policies. I don't know if they're right or wrong. I understand there's a tightrope that's being walked right now. And here's why. Nobody's quite sure what Putin's going to do. In the back of the mind of the diplomats, and it's been spoken about in a number of newscasts, we're not real sure what that guy may or may not do. Because if this is a traditional war and you got air flights and you got, you got bombs being sent, that's one thing. But if he pulls out nuclear weapons, now all of a sudden this has become a whole nother level. There was a movie back in the 60s, which was before half of you were even born. It's called Dr. Strangelove. We had to watch it in high school. It's an old movie. And it was kind of a comedy, but it was kind of a morbid comedy as it talked about nuclear proliferation and how, how it basically the whole thing in the 70s and 80s, if you grew up in those days, you'll remember these conversations, is that there was this huge battle between us and the USSR to see who could get the most nukes because we needed to ensure that we had enough stuff to keep the other team from doing anything stupid. And the idea was mutually assured destruction, that if you push a button, and we're pushing a button everybody's pushing a button we're all going to die and nobody wins if everybody dies you're saying pastor would you get off this please <laughs> the reality is you got to apply that into relationships because some people do relationships that way they do relationships that hey i want to win and i'm going to win and i don't care what it takes to win even if i have to blow up this thing in order for me to win. The problem is when you do that, it's mutually assured destruction. You both lose. Paul says, we've got to take this whole thing of conflict and we've got to do life differently by the Spirit of God. And here are some boundaries we don't cross so that we're not fighting outside of what is the appropriate way to have conflict. Number one, he says the first thing you got to have is honesty. Say that with me, would you? Honesty. He says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Speak truthfully to your spouse. Speak truthfully to your co-workers. Speak truthfully. And what's interesting is he's, he's inferred in this is that you can be honest without being mean. Now, what I love about this is Scripture talks so much about honesty. Uh, it, I love what the Proverbs say. It says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Woohoo! that's kind of fun. Not so much 
Jonathan toward you, but toward my wife, it would be very, it's fun, it's delightful, it's refreshing, it's great. But he says that when we're practicing honesty in relationship, it's a beautiful thing. It's a refreshing thing. An honest answer is like that. We could do an entire message on just simply how to develop that honesty. But one of the things that I've noticed with courageous honesty, it's the honesty that's willing to engage. Remember last week we talked that there are some who tend to be more adversarial. They tend to go after. They want to prevail. Then we have others who tend to be more acquiescence. They kind of withdraw. They don't really want to engage. It takes both of them to submit to the other in order to do this in a healthy way. Acquiescers need to engage courageously. Adversarial need to pull back and submit and practice honesty in a gentle, kind, compassionate way. And that only happens within a realm of safety. And so creating a safe environment for conversation, keeping a safe environment, which, which means what? We don't bring this up uh, with other people in their presence. We aren't going to make this a public scene, but we're also going to watch our response because if, if the acquiescer withdraws, the adversarial individual will tend to also shut down because he's afraid or there she's afraid. You can be adversarial on either side. The, the reality is we're a little bit of afraid that they're going to withdraw so we don't want to be honest anymore. And the acquiescer will sometimes withdraw because the other person has elevated the conversation so much there it, it kind of shuts them down. And it's learning how to create an environment of safety so that honesty can actually take place. Honesty. Speak truthfully with one another. There's a second one. He says, keep it under control. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What, what's fascinating in this passage is how much time Paul spends dealing with things of anger. Um, he mentions different kinds of anger. Look what he says here. He says, uh, uh, in your anger, he uses a word, ragas. Ragas. The word ragas is uh, rage. Rage. Ragas. Say that with me. Do it like that. Go, ragas. Say that. Ready? Ragas. It's a word that sounds like it's meaning. It's the idea of rage. Ragas. Thumas. It's out of control anger. It's anger that is allowed to vent without any control on it. Bitterness. Pikra. It's the word that means to allow my spirit to be picked and then for the anger to turn inward and begin to boil within me. Ah. Do you mean I can shut down, be quiet, never raise my voice and still have anger? Absolutely. Anger turned inward. Slander. It's anger in my words talking about someone. How many of us understand it's easier to talk about someone than to someone? I got very few hands go up. We all know it's true. I would much rather talk about someone than to talk to that person about that conflict. Brawling, it's anger that is turned physical or violent. Malice, it's anger that's turned into hate. Isn't it interesting how much this passage, and by the way, different personalities, different acquiescers and adversarials, they tend to deal with both of those. He says, in your anger, do not sin. 
You can be angry, but you can do so in control. You can be upset, but he says, but you don't have to give in to the sinfulness that's behind that. So keep it under control. You say, oh, Pastor, I can't control it. It's just the way that I am. I'm a passionate person. I'm a redhead. I'm Irish. You're laughing. Like, ooh. I used to be a redhead. Now I'm a whitehead. And now I'm almost, well, I won't say no head, but there's not a whole lot there. But I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I'm German. You ever noticed how many excuses? I'm, I'm Latin. I'm passionate. Have you ever noticed how many excuses we have for out-of-control anger? Did you ever think that maybe it's not an ethnicity and it's not a hair color? Maybe it's simple that you don't want to be in control. And when you indulge that, see, here's interesting. It's not about being under control of yourself because when I'm in control, whatever my sinfulness tends to lean toward, that takes over. It really is being under the control of the Holy Spirit because when He's in control, He begins to deal with these extremes in my life. I got a question for you. If you're a person who says, oh man, I struggle without a control. I can't help it. I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. It's just the way that I am. If you had a police officer in your, your room, could you tone it down? If you had a TV camera on you, could you tone it down? Now people will say, no, I couldn't, I can't, I can't do it. Well, that's because craziness is on TV now and we see all those things. But what he's trying to help us to understand is that you don't have to be out of control in these things. Keep it under control. Number three, it's related to it, keep it timed. Which means what? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you were still angry. It actually has two concepts. There's a, there's a proper timing for conflict. Pick appropriate times. But then he says, but also, don't let this thing just go underground and fester. Don't, don't just keep avoiding it. How many of us know that the longer you put something off, it always gets better? Isn't it funny we all laugh, nobody raises their hand, because we all know that the longer that we bury something, it doesn't necessarily get better. In fact, usually it gets worse, and yet what do we often do? We just simply push it off. Got to get to the last two, because this is where I want to spend our time. Number four, Keep it constructive. Notice what he says in this passage. In fact, I'm going to invite you to read along. Just follow along, and then I'm going to have you read it with me, okay? He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who who listen. Okay, here we go, congregation. If you got it on your, it doesn't matter if you got a different version or not, just take it. We're all going to read verse 29 together. If you don't have verse 29, put it on your app. You can got it there. If you don't have verse 29, you got a note sheet. Read it with me. Ready? Let's say it together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
That is a life-changing verse for me. I'm not saying I enacted it immediately, but when I was back in college, I had a guy who was discipling me, mentoring me. Uh, his name was Greg, and Greg and I became very good friends. He was a senior. I was a freshman. We were at Indiana University, and we were like brothers, which means that we loved each other, we supported each other, but we also, um, sometimes I think guys have a love language of just simply like, we, we, we kind of beat each other up with our words. You know what I'm saying? We kind of we say, we, you know, we're like, uh, oh, come on, you can do better than that. I mean, we kind of cut each other down a little bit, but we never, we never meant it in a harmful way. We had some leaders of our Christian group that had been meeting that uh, pulled us aside. They said, hey, Greg and Phil, I want to talk to you about the way you guys talk to each other. You gotta understand, we loved each other. We were brothers. He was my best man in my wedding. We loved each other. But we acted like brothers at times, and we kind of, and they said, hey, the way that you guys speak to each other, it, it's impacting the rest of the people around you. Uh, we know you guys don't mean anything by it but your words are hurting the others. They look up to you as leaders. Oh. And then he quoted this verse. It wasn't that we were using cursing language. We weren't using vulgar language. We weren't speaking in a way that, that was using that kind of stuff. But he said, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And he said, guys, your words are not building each other up. And by virtue, it's hurting the people around you. He says there are words that tear people down. They're called putrid words. Uh, you could take that word unwholesome and you could, you could, you could actually translate it putrid. Uh, another place it's used in the Gospels, that word is translated uh, rotting words, rotting fish. It's, it's, it's a putrid type of word. It's a word that destroys. It's a word that tears down. It's a word that cuts. And he says, don't speak to each other in that way. And oh, by the way, especially if you're doing conflict. But rather the words that you use, make them words that build others up according to their needs. Now, this is an act of submission. Jonathan, I'm going to look at you, okay? That means that I have to know you well enough to know what you need. It means that I need to submit myself to you enough that they may not be the words that I'm looking for, but they're the words that you need, and therefore I'm help building you according to what your need in your life is. Imagine if you began to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ in your marriage relationships, in your friendships, in your sibling relationships. You're saying, Pastor, I can't do this because they always started off so negative. It is so hard. It's when, when both are operating this way, it's fairly easy. But the challenge is, is that when other people aren't, that, that we just we want to protect ourselves, don't we? So he says, I want you to choose your words wisely. Number four, five, forgive each other. Learn what it is to forgive. 
Notice what he says in this passage. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Every time we see the call of forgiveness in Scripture, it always begins with understanding the grace that's been shown us. Whether it's Jesus, whether it's Peter, whether it's Paul, the model of grace that we've received from God for our sins becomes the foundation of grace that we're called to show others. I get it. Pastor, you don't understand. They've hurt me so deeply. I, I know. You understand, Pastor, I, they keep doing it. It's been so many times. I'm not diminishing. But I know this, that as long as you are holding on to that, it's going to destroy you. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you've been following the news at all. As a nation right now in Washington, all these conversations on debt limit. Any of you followed that at all? By the way, if you haven't read it, they came to an agreement last night. Looks like everything's going to come together. I haven't really particularly been too worried about it, but it's been, it's been an interesting conversation. And sides had to agree to raise the debt limit and what it's going to be and how long it's going to be for. This morning when I got up, I read the newspaper or read it on my phone, and I immediately thought of um, Matthew 18. Because Jesus instructs his disciples to forgive the debt people have. When you forgive, you're, you're letting go of the debt. And Peter looked at him and said, Lord, what's the debt limit? Seven times? Seven times 70? What's the limit? And the Lord said, No. Just keep forgiving. Develop a spirit of grace that releases the debt. I put it down in your notes, these words. I think they're in there. As counterintuitive as it sounds, when you hold on to somebody's debt, they continue to torment you. But when you release their debt, it has a way of freeing you. And I read this illustration a number of months back. I never heard it quite like this before. 
Imagine you're out walking around and you're out kind of in the wilderness area and you're wearing shorts and you've got your little hiking boots on and a snake pops out, big old fangs, and just plants itself in your leg. It's just hanging there. And it hurts so bad. And you know you need to probably grab it and take it off, but ah, man, that would hurt even worse. And so you just kind of let it hang there. Some of you are getting sick right now. Sorry about that. But the problem is, as long as its fangs are inside of you, it just keeps pumping poison. And the only way you can start healing is by getting that thing off of there. Forgiveness is taking the head of the snake, removing the the fangs, so that you can begin to heal. And yeah, it hurts. But it's the only way to experience healing. Paul says, I got a better way. Be honest. I got a better way. Keep it under control. I got a better way. Time it. Use words wisely. Forgive. That's how you experience healing, even when you've got a disagreement. Father, I I would guess that as we uh, work through this passage, oh, there's probably all kinds of conversations that are going on in our mind. Some of us have images of people, pictures in our mind, and Others are having conversations right now and saying, yes, but you don't understand and we're trying to negotiate with you, Holy Spirit. Others are feeling probably some conviction and saying, Lord, I've really blown it in this area. But Lord, what I love is that you never speak to us and you never identify these areas because you hate us. It's because you love us. And you want us to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, it might be a little messy, but I ask for you to do a work inside of me. I I, I need you to go before in all these other relationships, but I need you to start in me. And bring about the beautiful that you see in me and bring about the transformation that you see in me and continue to do the work that takes that old self and puts it behind me and becoming the new self of who you want me to be in your image. And in the moments that I blow it, please very quickly confront me and help me to resubmit to you. In the areas where I feel under attack, give me strength that I don't need to react. Help me to be your agent of grace in my relationships, I pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. 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 Stand with me, would you? We have prayer partners. Love to pray with you. Love to be able to carry needs. Maybe you just want to come meet with the Lord. Go ahead. Do that. Turn to each other. Encourage each other. God bless as you go. Have a safe Memorial Day weekend.